chapter 1, beginning at the 29th verse. Please stand as we listen to the words and works of our Savior, Jesus. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you, dear brothers and sisters, through from God our Father and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our message series that we're going through right now, A Day in the Life, is taking us through this day in the life of our Savior Jesus, one day that's recorded for us here in the beginning of Mark, in Mark chapter 1, one day that's a part of a much larger story, this redemption story that our God has to tell us that covers the pages of Scripture. And that whole grand story, if we were to think about it as a play, is a play that comes to us in four acts. All of them, we can start, if you want to follow along on your sheet, all of them start with the letter C. So act one is the creation. In the beginning, God created a perfect world, and everything in it was perfect. The man and the woman whom he created and placed into that world, they were perfect. So act one is the creation of this perfect world. But it's a pretty short act. By chapter three of the Bible, we've already gotten to act two, which is the curse. That perfect man and woman sinned. And because of that sin, God placed them and and the entire world they were in under a curse because of sin. Now we have to break away from the axe and go down to those blanks with the D's in front of them and see what was it that came along with the curse. First, we have depravity. Depravity came with the curse in the sense that this man and woman, Adam and Eve, now that they had sinned, had become corrupted by that sin. They were depraved, so that they sought not the things that God wanted for them, but the things that they wanted 
for themselves. And that depravity was not just something that was unique to them, it was something that they would pass along to their children and to each successive generation that would come after them. The second big thing that came along with the curse was death. God had told the man of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for if you eat of it on that day, you will die. And when Adam and Eve ate from that fruit in the Garden of Eden, a death occurred that day. There was a spiritual death, a separation between them and God. And because of that spiritual death, now there was also a physical death that was going to come along with it that would accompany that spiritual death. And I didn't put blanks for all of them, but I suppose underneath death on your sheet, if you want, you could fill out all these other little words that come along with death, things like disease and decay and disasters and difficulty and deterioration, all of these little subsets of the curse that are all precursors to the big one, which is death. Finally, along with their sinful depravity and the death that was the result of it came a third part of the curse, the devil. The one who was there in the garden who tempted Adam and Eve to sin, that same devil has kept up that game of pursuing people and trying to lead them to death and destruction ever since that very first fall into sin. And so the devil is a very present part of this curse that accompanies sin in this world that we live in. So internally we have our sinful depravity and externally we have the devil and both of them are trying to lead us to the doom and destruction of death. Act two is not the most pleasant act. Then we get to act three, the cross. The cross is the cure to the curse. The cross is where Jesus endured the curse so that he might rescue us from it. And if we think in terms of a play I'm taking you back to your English literature class now in high school, all right? There are points in a plot that we have to follow. And so if Acts 1 and 2 are the exposition, the, the rising motion, Act 3, the cross, is where we get to the climax of the play. But it's not over at the climax. There's still one very important part of the plot to come, and that's the resolution. Or if you like French words, it's the denouement. Act four is the denouement, the consummation. What the cross itself, the climax, was leading to. As we go into the consummation, this great resolution, that's where we get to this day where God will bring all things into their completion. It's the day of our Savior's return, the day when Jesus once and for all, as he's going to demonstrate in our lesson from Mark today that he has the power to do, rolls back the curse of sin and removes it from us once and for all. 
what we have laid out for us today in Mark chapter one is a foreshadowing of that great final act of our Savior Jesus. As he demonstrates to us the power that he has, we give our attention once again to the words of the Gospel of Mark. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. The season of Epiphany, this season of the church here that we're in right now, is a season where we see our Savior Jesus revealed to us. The season right before at Christmas, we have him arrive, bundled up in swaddling cloths, this precious little child. But who is that gift that God has given to us? That's what we unpack and explore in the season of Epiphany. And we see throughout that season his power and his might and his purpose set before us so that we can learn about who he is. And today, specifically, we see Jesus' power to heal. We see his power over the devil and his forces. But first, let's look at Jesus' power to heal. After worship in the synagogue that morning, Jesus and his disciples are invited by Peter and Andrew to come to their home for dinner, or maybe Jesus invited himself. He has a habit of doing that too. However it is they got there, they come to Peter and Andrew's home, and when they arrive, the news reaches them that Peter's mother-in-law is sick and in bed with a really great fever. So they tell Jesus about it, and it's hard to summarize what happened next any better than Mark does. He went to her, He took her hand, and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So powerful was the touch of Jesus that not just the symptoms, but the root cause of this fever is done away with completely. Often when we find ourselves getting sick or catching ill, we get better but then we still need a few days or even a few weeks to recuperate. Not so in this case. We don't find Jesus reaching out and touching her and healing her and telling her, now rest and regain your strength. But at the moment he touched her, the fever left her, and immediately she gets up and begins to serve Jesus and his disciples. There's something for us in this text for right now here today. Because God is revealing to us through this message, through this miracle, that Jesus, our Savior, has the power to heal. And there's a response from us that can come to that. We see a response among the people of that town By evening, the entire town had come out onto the streets and they're gathered at the door of Peter's home. 
waiting for Jesus. They brought with them all of the sick. And so Jesus comes out and he heals many people with various different diseases. And there are among us here today people with various diseases. And among your circles, your broader circles, are our families and our friends. There are a far greater number of people with an even wider variety of sicknesses and illnesses and diseases. And there is not a single one of those that our Savior Jesus does not have the power to heal. Because Jesus has power to heal disease. He has the power to roll back that part of the curse. And so we have the opportunity to pray boldly to our God for healing for ourselves or for others, for those whom we love and care about. And we can do that confident that the one we're praying to is the one who has the power to heal us. We may even invite, as Jesus instructs us to do in his word, the elders of the church, the pastors, or other members of the church, our Christian family, to come and to sit and to pray with us. And to that instruction, God adds this promise that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. And he bids us to pray to him not just once, but he bids us to pray to him with consistency that we would come to him again and again and again as long as our affliction should endure to continue to come to him in prayer to seek out his aid and his assistance. But we must remember also to yield ourselves to our God's infinitely wise will. To trust that even in sickness and death, it's our everlasting good, the health of our soul, and the everlasting good of his church that is our God's all-consuming concern. We see cases, as we read through the Bible, such as the case of Lazarus, where when he fell sick and his sisters Mary and Martha reached out to Jesus for Jesus' help, Jesus did not respond right away but waited until after Lazarus had died, had succumbed to his illness so that his name might be glorified. And in that case, when Jesus did arrive, the words that he shared with that sister Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die Yes, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Those words that he had opportunity to share on that occasion have been shared between Christians for the millennia that have followed. Whenever sickness or disease have given way to death, they're words of comfort that we are able to share with one another. They're a reminder that while Jesus has the power to heal from any and all sickness or disease, death itself is not beyond his power to remedy. And in that, we have his promise that those who die in him will live. 
Or we have the case of the Apostle Paul, who had some kind of affliction in his body that he prayed again and again for the Lord to remove, but the Lord allowed it to continue while not taking Paul's life, so that through that affliction and through Paul's continued faith despite of it, through that weakness that he had, God's power might be made evident through his servant's persistent work for the gospel. In any affliction, we can go to the one who has the power to heal and ask for his mercy, trusting that whether it's his will to heal us today or not, he has given us the promise that when we reach the end of the story, when we get to act for that great consummation, he will reach out and take us by the hand and help us up. And any affliction that you have, be it disease or sickness or deformity or anything else, will be gone away. And in that great consummation, he will lead us into a new age where we will all enjoy perfect health. And in that perfect health, we will be able to set about serving him. It wasn't just the sick that the people of that town brought to Jesus that day, but we read they also brought to him those who were possessed by demons. Word of the miracle that Jesus had performed earlier that morning, the one that Pastor Borman shared with us last week, where they were in the synagogue and a man possessed by a demon stood up and Jesus commanded the demon to come out of him and it obeyed his command. Word of that miracle had also been making its way around the town and so the people brought to Jesus all those among them who were possessed by demons and he cast out many demons. I think it's interesting to note that if Jesus were to appear in person among us here today, we would probably be able to go and find many among us or among our friends to bring to him who are sick to be healed. But I don't know that we have so many acquaintances that we would be able to bring to him to have demons driven out of them. And it's not just in our time that I think we would find that. When we read through the Bible, there is only one occurrence in all of the Old Testament that might be a demon possession. It's in the case of King Saul, who came right before King David. We're told in 1 Samuel 16 that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. We're not told, though, whether that spirit tormented Saul from the outside or whether he actually possessed Saul's body and tormented him in that way. And then likewise in the New Testament, in the letters that the apostles wrote to the Christian church, there is not one single place where they speak about demon possession. The only place in the Bible where we find demon possession being talked about is in the gospel accounts and in the first half of the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and after that, it's not spoken of anymore. Now, that's not to say that demon possession cannot occur today. 
There is no place in the Bible where God assures us that it is not going to happen. And we hear stories of things and places where there are things that go beyond natural explanation. But as we look at God's word and as we look at the world around us, there are two things that I think we can be certain of. First, there was an abundance of demon possession taking place around the time of Jesus' ministry here in this world and into the time of that first generation of the Christian church that exceeds any other point in the history of this world. And second, while God may only allow the devil and his demons to possess certain people, Satan certainly influences all of us. And he does it constantly, day after day. Pastor Borman had an excerpt from Luther's catechism in our connect groups this last week from the third commandment where Luther wrote this, all of your days are spent in the devil's territory and he rests neither day nor night from stealthily trying to sneak up and kindle in your heart unfaith and evil. And then Luther has the remedy. Even if no other benefit or need drove us into the word, everyone should be driven by the fact that our using the word shows the devil the door and drives him away. Yes, Satan exists. And he is powerful and dangerous. We heard in our scripture lesson earlier, God warning us against him that he is like a lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. But Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, and the Word which he has given to us have the power to drive Satan away and defeat him. Submit yourselves, therefore, the Word tells us, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Meet every temptation with the word of God and the devil will be as powerless to overcome you as you wield the word of Christ as he was to overcome Christ himself. But if he has caused you to stumble and to fall, brothers and sisters, if the devil has led you into sin, Turn to Jesus. Jesus comes to you today. He reaches out his hand to you to lift you up once more. Your sin has left you. It has been taken away by the blood of Jesus which he poured out for you in Act 3 at the cross so that you might rise up today to serve him and to worship him. Your sin has been taken away so that you might stand on that day in Act 4 when Jesus comes again, that day when he will usher you into his new creation, the day on which he tells us, come, you who are blessed by my Father, and take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since before the creation of the world. Creation about which he says, no impure spirit 
will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of the Lamb. And there, in that kingdom, we will serve the Lord in wholeness of health and newness of life forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that peace which is beyond our human understanding, may it guard your hearts and minds in him and keep you in him until that day of life everlasting. Amen.